This is Aliens and Artists, part one of our conversation with Chris Kingston. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Chris is a researcher and writer with an emphasis on paranormal contact and how it affects the experiencer. In this episode, Kingston relates a lifetime of experiences, including a spontaneous out-of-body experience during a yoga session in which he encountered a numinous woman in a purple robe, missing time, sheet of glass UFOs, multiple witness Sasquatch encounters, a tornado made of glitter, and CE5s in which voices, not craft, are summoned. I actually do have a, a family history going back quite a bit. According to family lore, I had a, uh, an ancestor that was burned at the stake in Salem for witchcraft. And I had a, a great-great-grandfather that was the local witch doctor for his, uh, his community. He lived in a big house out on the outskirts of town, and he'd make spells and potions, and also had a bit of a green thumb. And my grandmother, uh, I remember her telling me stories as a kid, almost hitting what would be referred to as Lemurians as she went over uh, Mount Shasta in California. And she had an orb show up in her bedroom that she attributed to as being God when she was having some financial struggles. And after the orb showed up in her room, it was uh, the next day she found an envelope, an unmarked envelope on her front porch that had exactly the amount of money to pay off her bills that she needed. And there's haunted pianos and haunted kitchens uh, runs all through my mom's side of the family. And for me, my earliest memory is actually anomalous. I must have been about, about three years old. And I was standing in my crib, just kind of hanging out, and I heard a wet pop sound. And the hallway right outside of my bedroom, it extended out almost like an accordion. It zoomed out into infinity, kind of like when you put, uh, it was a similar effect to when you put two mirrors facing each other. And it just kind of hung out in this weird infinite portal looking thing. Then there was another loud wet pop sound and it shrunk back to my normal sized hallway again. And that was a reoccurring experience for me uh, from about age three up through uh, my late adolescent years. I had intense repetitive nightmares from about three years old to about 18. One of them involved a wolf, another one involved a witch. The one that's really interesting to me that I remember having multiple times, I was standing in the middle of a field. It kind of felt like a park in the middle of a city, kind of like a Central Park uh, sort of deal. It's sunny, there's people out playing frisbee walking their dogs and then i i kind of get the sense that it's starting to rain and so i put my hand out to catch a raindrop and instead of a raindrop i catch a really heavy piece of metal about the size of a raindrop and this metal is kind of raining down all around and then a, a dark shadow falls over me and i look up in the sky and there's a gigantic metal cylinder that's coming straight down at me and 
it crushes me and I feel every bone in my body turning into powder before I, I actually wake up. And that was a dream that I had multiple times. I also had a reoccurring dream where I was on a ship of some kind. I think it was a Viking ship. I'm not entirely sure, though. There's a lot of fighting going on on the ship, lots of swords, and I feel a sword enter my stomach. I feel all the pain of it, and I can feel myself starting to fade out before I ultimately wake up. A lot of dreams from about 3 to 18 years old. Lots of sleepwalking as well. I would wake up in weird places. I don't remember a lot of them, but my mom and dad said that they would uh, find me in odd places, find me out in the front yard, or one occasion where I was actually hugging the TV and uh, crying in my sleep. And the last time I remember sleepwalking, I lived in the basement of my parents' house when we lived in uh, Kansas for a couple of years. I was about uh, 17 years old. And I woke up upstairs halfway between the uh, dining room and the kitchen. I was just asleep on the floor in the doorway. I would also have lots of odd nosebleeds growing up. My mom thought it was just because I was picking my nose constantly, but uh, I wasn't. It would just show up out of nowhere. I didn't realize until just a few years ago even that odd sleepwalking and odd nosebleeds are kind of telltale signs of a lot of times they're connected to like abduction experiences but I don't remember any actual abduction scenarios something I'm still kind of looking into in my life something else that happened right around three years old and up until about 13 I would have episodes where I'd be like sitting in my bed reading a book or what have you the bed would start to shake violently like it was an earthquake. And I was always really oddly calm about it. Didn't really do anything about it. And I didn't even realize it was weird until I brought it up at dinner one night when I was about 13 years old and realized that my parents had never even felt it and never felt an earthquake or anything. And I was talking to my sister about it a couple of years ago and she would have the same experience where she would feel her bed shake as well. And where we grew up in the Columbia River Gorge between Washington and Oregon, it was kind of up in the boonies about, about an hour drive from uh, Mount Adams, actually. And so not really a place that earthquakes are very common, especially not ones that felt as strong as these did. And it happened for about 10 years pretty regularly. I feel like it usually happened during the summer. I'm not sure if that has any relevance to anything. At about eight years old, I was in the front yard of my parents' property. Like I said, it was in the middle of the boonies. They have five and a half acres of forest land up there. And I was playing in the front yard with my sister in front of the house. Uh, she was about three years old. We're playing and a Sasquatch actually walks out of the forest in the backyard stands in the clearing and is just looking at my sister and I playing, just stands there for a little while and then calmly walks off. I remember the fur was very mottled, kind of colored, like reminding me like shadows in the woods, lots of grays and black and 
lots of brown. And then kind of moving on from about five years old to about my early 20s, I would always feel or sense about three distinctly different entities that would come and hang out around me whenever I was adventuring alone or was in danger or felt scared. I always kind of looked at them as being guardian angels or guardian spirits. And when I lived in Kansas with my folks, we lived in a Wichita out there. There was an abandoned building that I liked to kind of go and wander around in and it was scheduled for demolition. And so I went to go say goodbye to it before it was going to be demolished. And when I got to the entrance, I felt the three guardian spirits there. And it was like they had almost put up a wall of cautionary energy (laughs) at the entrance to this place. And then when I was going to still walk through, I was pushed backwards, like physically pushed backwards. It was a very distinct kind of do not go in there feeling. So in my 20s, I was very involved in researching the occult and I kind of learned a little bit about summoning spirits and so I decided to kind of try it with these guardian spirits because I wanted to learn more about them. So I was about 22 and I summoned them and when I could feel their presence I asked them what their name was and immediately in my mind I had a very clear vision of the word Absalom that appeared in my mind. And it was spoken, not written, which is kind of odd. It was just a weird kind of phonetic vision that appeared in my mind. That was the very last that I ever felt them. I haven't felt them since. So I kind of looked into Absalom, and there was two very different (laughs) uh, results that I got for that. One of them involved King David and the old biblical stories. But the other one, which I felt was a little more relevant, was in Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Absalom is actually the name of the uh, caterpillar who is smoking the hookah. I thought it was very funny because I had asked them, what are your names? Who are you? And of course, in Alice in Wonderland, Absalom is saying, who are you? So I always thought that was kind of (laughs) funny little trickster element there. When my family and I first moved to Kansas, I was for my dad's work and my mom hadn't seen a lot of her family and they all lived out in Kansas. So we decided to go spend a couple of years out there. And when we first got out there, my aunt Mickey had a turn of the century hotel in Kinsley, Kansas. Uh, Kinsley used to be a uh, pretty big tourist destination. It's the exact middle point between San Francisco and New York. And so it's called, you know, Midway. So she had a hotel there. It kind of fell into uh, the entire town kind of fell into disrepair and kind of lost its tourist status. And so there weren't a lot of people living there. It's a very small town. So she got into this hotel and we stayed with her for a little while. And the hotel was haunted. It had uh, apparently three distinct spirits. I only ever felt two of them. One of them was somehow tied to the upstairs bathroom and 
he liked to make his presence known when you were taking a shower. It was always very shocking. The other one always kind of hung out in the hallway upstairs. And I usually only felt them, but the one in the hallway, I actually got an outline that I saw on one occasion. And it definitely looked like stereotypical kind of cowboy, very tall with the big cowboy hat. And they never really bothered me. It was it always felt more like they just wanted to be acknowledged more than anything else. So from about 13 years old, and this is still ongoing, so it's been happening for about 20 years for me, I have visually seen shadow entities. They've appeared in all manner of shapes and sizes and varying shades of shadow <laughs> i guess all sorts of different shades of gray and sometimes they're a little bit more translucent than other times they feel more solid the first time that i saw the shadow entities i had gotten up in the middle of the night to go get a glass of water the way the house was set up there was the kitchen and then there was a long hallway leading to the laundry room and then there was the back door so i was standing in the kitchen getting my water and I noticed something moving in the back hallway and so I kind of looked down the hallway a bit and there was gray entities shaped kind of like uh, circus animal crackers they were floating down from the ceiling right by the back door floating towards me and then they would float up into the ceiling again about a foot in front of me and it was an endless procession of this loop I don't know how long I stood watching this, but I eventually just kind of calmly turned around and walked back to bed like nothing was wrong. Since then, they've kind of shown up in weird places when I was learning how to drive and had just gotten my driver's license and was driving on my own. They would show up in the road directly in front of me. And the very first time it happened, I actually swerved to miss them. Because I thought it was a person, I was going to hit them. But I eventually just learned to just keep driving because <laughs> didn't ever hit anything. They just kind of showed up to mess with me, I think. Anymore, they just kind of hang out on the peripheral of my vision. But there was one specific encounter that I had when I was 19. It's also the only encounter I've ever had with uh, sleep paralysis. I woke up. I could not move at all. It was nighttime. With the little bit of light that I could see, that I had in the room, I could see floating about a foot and a half above me was what appeared to be kind of a classic Grim Reaper style being, replete with a death's head skull for a face. The cloak that it was wearing, it seemed, it was weird. It seemed to be at once material and immaterial, almost like it wasn't necessarily black in color, but was actually absorbing light that got caught in it, sort of like a black hole. The edges of the cloak were wispy and very smoke-like. All in all, it was very terrifying, and it was just kind of hovering there, floating above me. I don't know how long I kind of sat there and watched it, but eventually I was able to move my hand enough to turn the light on and then 
everything was back to normal at that point. So I was raised in a very, very strict, like fundamentalist Baptist Christian household. Around 13 years old is when I discovered that what was happening to me wasn't necessarily normal for people to be having these weird dreams and to be seeing these entities. It was something that wasn't exactly normal. So I started to look for answers within the Christian community. The only answers that I really got were either it's the devil messing with you or there's something mentally wrong with you. And so neither of those answers seemed to be very accurate to what was happening. And so that's kind of what drove me to start looking in other philosophies and see if maybe there was an answer to be had elsewhere. It's kind of what got me into the occult because when I started looking at the occult, witchcraft and just general paganism, I found that they actually had answers for not necessarily satisfying answers on what the origin was of these things, but more of how to deal with them and learn to live with being like this. And so when I was about 21, I started to get into yoga and meditation. And when I was about 23, I was living in Hood River, Oregon. My ex-wife was my girlfriend at the time, and we shared a rental that was right on one of the main streets running through downtown Hood River. Even though it was downtown, it was up on this kind of cliff. And so we were about 10 feet above the main road. So it was actually fairly quiet. It was a very peaceful place. They were like little tiny condominiums kind of all split apart. So we didn't have anybody above us or behind us or on the sides. So I woke up one morning and I had the house to myself. My girlfriend was off at school and then she was going to be working. And I had the day off. So I woke up a little bit later, decided to skip breakfast and go directly into my yoga routine. So I did my yoga routine and I settled down into lotus position on my living room floor to start my meditation. So I'm lotus, I'm into meditation, into the meditative process. And the way that I would get into that process was I would focus on a mental image of a candle in my mind, um, a burning candle. I would kind of focus more and more on the flame of that candle until I would just get lost in it. And then I would merge with it and become a part of it. And that would be when I entered into what is the deep and complex and yet innately simple state of consciousness where I could join the infinite and welcome my awareness into the void. <laughs> so that was what normally happened with me. This time, however, as soon as I emerged with the candle flame in my mind, I realized that my conscious self was no longer in my physical body. In fact, I was no longer even in my living room anymore. I was standing in the kitchen, which was adjacent to the living room. And there was this weird luminescent blue ultraviolet glow on everything, almost like somebody had switched on a UV light in my kitchen. And standing about in a foot in front of me 
was a being that stood about four and a half to five feet tall. And this is, I'm comparing her to my height of about six two. The first thing I remember noticing about her was that she wore a hooded robe and it was dark indigo purple. From what I recall, it had some sort of design or symbols, but I, I can't really remember the specifics on those. The cloak seemed to be kind of emitting a, a light that was very similar hue to the purplish UV that was soaking the entire kitchen. The hood covered up a large portion of this being's head. I couldn't see a lot of skin. She was holding her left arm up over her face. So I could see a little bit of skin on her hand and a little bit of skin on her forehead. And the little bit of skin that I could see, it appeared to be made of light, almost like I was staring at moonlight. It was absolutely beautiful. I couldn't see any defining details. I somehow innately knew that this being was feminine. It was a, it radiated feminine energy. She felt extremely old. It was a very similar feeling that I get when I visit like the Redwood Forest in California. And I'm just standing amongst these trees that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. That similar kind of weight is what this being had. It felt like she was very old. It felt like I was being held in place or that there was some sort of pressure around me so that I couldn't move very well. It felt kind of similar to standing at the bottom of a very deep pool of water. And so I just sat and observed what was going on. She was mumbling something that I couldn't quite make out. I could kind of tell that she was talking, but I couldn't make out any words. And I sat there just kind of staring at her, talking behind her arm for what seemed like forever. And then after a while, she reached out with her right hand, which had been down at her side the whole time. And with her index finger, she booped me right in the place that my nose would be on my physical body. <laughs> and I was instantaneously popped back into my physical body, which itself was no longer in lotus position on my living room floor. It was in fact in another room of the house and I was lying on my back with my arms crossed over my chest. Every muscle in my body felt sore and strained like I had just gotten finished with them. And I remember that I sat there for about five or six minutes kind of like, holy shit, what, what the hell just happened to me? Then the rest of the day is a complete blank. I don't remember anything else that happened. That moment was definitely the most profound experience I've ever had outside of becoming a father. It was, it was incredible. So about six months later, I actually entered my long, dark night of the soul period of my life. It was about seven years of really, really bad depression. It got to the point that it was, I was regularly feeling suicidal. I was dealing with extreme anxiety and thoughts of just feeling lost. And during this time, I was also becoming aware that I was 
incredibly empathic to the point that if I focused hard enough, I could actually change the mood of an entire group of people in a room, or at least influence it. I feel like all of this is, is very connected to having met the Lady of Light. I know that correlation doesn't exactly equal causation, but in this particular case, it feels very, very connected. So that seven-year period of depression, it ended with me getting a divorce from my wife, and I started a job transporting legal <laughs> marijuana for a cannabis farm here in Washington. So I would deliver the product to uh, different stores throughout Washington. On this one day, I was uh, 30 years old, and I had gotten an early start to the day. I was heading up to Bellingham, so I had to usually leave Longview, where I live, at about, about four in the morning to get there at a decent time. And so by the time I got to just south of Seattle on Interstate 5, it was about 6.30 a.m., I was listening to a lecture involving alien abduction. Nick Pope was the gentleman that was putting this lecture on. At some point during that lecture, it was like a switch had been flipped, and I felt like I had been plugged directly into an electrical socket. I was tingling all over inside of my body, and it felt like electricity was coursing through every cell of my being, but not in an in an uncomfortable way, it was just very, very pronounced. And this happened for about uh, half an hour during this time. And I started to openly weep in the middle of rush hour traffic. I can't imagine what I look like to other drivers. I was just weeping while this energy flowed through me. Directly afterwards, it was like my depression had just completely gone away. It was the first time in seven years that I didn't feel depressed and I didn't feel the anxiety that was constantly with me. And while that eventually kind of came back, it, it came back in a manageable way to where it doesn't completely rule me. It's not like I'm feeling suicidal on a daily basis anymore. And so it was like a switch had been flipped and my depression had been turned off. And for about a week afterwards, at random points, I would get small waves of that same energy flowing through me for about 10 to 15 minutes, and then it'd be gone. So that kind of led me to contacting MUFON about all the weird experiences that I had had, specifically the encounter with the Lady of Light. And MUFON directed me to a psychologist that they do work with. The psychologist is in Seattle, and she a support group for experiencers that she runs once a month. Most of them are abductees, but a couple of them were contactees as well. And she invited me out to hang out with them. I did. <laughs> and it was profound for me to talk to people that actually knew, knew what I was going through on, on a level that nobody else ever had. That validation more than anything else was incredibly helpful to me and it made me feel like i wasn't crazy <laughs> and so that 
stuck with me for a long time. And that's what ended up inspiring me to start my Vail Road project and kind of start to connect with more and more experiencers and kind of spread awareness and help other people find that same validation that I felt in that experiencer support group. So Vail Road has led me to some interesting places. In 2019, on November 11th, so 11-11, I uh, went to Mount Shasta. The purpose that I had for going to Mount Shasta, I was going to try to talk to members of the Guy Ballard Foundation. It's a group of people that, uh, they're, they're also known as the I Am cult. Um, I wanted to kind of talk to them and I wanted to learn a little bit more about the crystal city that is supposedly underneath Mount Shasta called Telos. And it's also connected to the, to the Lemurians. And so I arrived early in the morning. It was about six in the morning. And I made a stop to Pluto's Cave, which is about 40 minutes from Mount Shasta. And in the local indigenous beliefs, Pluto's Cave is one of the places that's an entrance to the underworld. So I went there and I was the only one there. It was like I said, about six in the morning. And on the way in, I didn't see, hear, or smell anything odd. It was a very beautiful walk-in. But on the way out, uh, there was a very distinct, musky, funky smell. It was almost like like a wet dog smell. The hair on my the back of my neck stood up, and I felt like I was being watched. Didn't ever see anything, though. So I continued my journey. I got to Mount Shasta, and as soon as I parked and got out, I overheard a group of people talking a couple cars down, and they were talking about UFOs. (laughs) And so I went up and introduced myself and kind of mentioned what I was up there for. And come to find out, one of the couples that was there was actually from Longview, where I live. And so it was a weird kind of synchronicity. And they had come out for the full moon, which was on the 10th, uh, so the day right before, and they were on their way out. So I set up camp and decided to go on a hike up to Artist Point, which is at the top of the Grey Butte Trail. At the time, because of the season and everything, they had the access road closed down, but you could still walk up it. So it was about a five-mile walk up to artist point part of the area going up there you got to walk past panther meadow panther meadow is a sacred space for the indigenous people they believe that the stream that starts there is where life sprang forth as i had just passed panther meadow i started to hear disembodied voices At one point, the voices would seem like they're coming from one direction. The next time, they're coming from a different location. And it just kind of seemed like these voices were all around me. Couldn't tell what was being said. At this point in the day, I was the only one out there. Everybody else was at their campsite. In fact, during this walk, I only met one other person. I was almost to Artist Point at that point, and they were on their way back. 
So around Panther Meadows, it's very unlikely that there was anybody else out there with me. And I'm hearing all these voices. So I walk into, and when you go past Panther Meadows, you walk into this forested area for a little bit. And as soon as I got into that forested area, I heard a distinct, very sharp and loud intake of breath right behind me, almost like somebody had gasped. I turned around and of course there was nobody there. The rest of my hike up to Artist Point was pretty uneventful. When you get up there to the peak, it has a really beautiful view of the peak of Mount Shasta. And it's a really beautiful 360 degree view of everything around you. You can see the valleys on the opposite side of Mount Shasta. It's just gorgeous. So I stayed up there until right about the point that the sun went down and I decided to make my trek back. On the way back down, there was no clouds in the sky. The stars were shining really brightly. I'm looking up at the stars as I want to do because I'm always looking for UFOs. And I noticed that there was an odd cigar-shaped gray cloud kind of stood out against the night sky. And from where I stood, it seemed to be several miles long. Like it was a, it was a big cloud. And it was the only cloud in the sky. And it just kind of was hanging out there. About two or three minutes later, I'm continuing my walk and I notice something kind of flash in the starlight out the corner of my eye. And I look, it looks like a solid sheet of glass that's kind of oddly undulating. And it's about the size of a football field. And it's kind of slowly, gracefully making its way down from the sky. And it seems like it's heading at an angle down towards uh, the ground. I actually tried to get this on my camera. I pulled my camera out and was recording it, but all you can hear is my voice. It was too dark to get any footage. I watched it for four or five minutes. It was just, it was the weirdest looking thing. And then I continued my, my walk back. The entire time I kept hearing odd noises all, all around me or the sound of footsteps behind me or in front of me and never, never saw anybody. And when I got back to camp, I was talking to a couple of people that were camping around me. And apparently while I was up at Artist Point, everybody had had a mass UFO sighting where they saw four orbs of light pop into existence above the campground and they performed different aerial maneuvers and then popped back into invisibility. And so all of that had happened right around the same time that I was having my own encounter with the sheet of glass. And that night, where I had camped, I did it in the middle of this uh, open clearing. The moon was shining really brightly, and there was no wind. All night, my tent, the roof of my tent, was kept getting pushed down, and it looked like imprints of hands that were pushing the roof of my tent down. And I actually did get footage of that. It's creepy looking. But there was no shadow of anybody on the outside of my tent. Because like I said, the moon was shining down really brightly. It actually was so bright that it made the campground almost look like it was daytime. So if somebody had been standing there pushing down on the top of my tent, I would have seen their shadow. 
And that kind of kept going on all night. I actually eventually just got so fed up with it. I was like, please leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> so then I drove home a couple days later. Nothing else really happened. So my experiences kind of were quiet for a while up until about a month or so ago. Oh, after Mount Shasta, I go up to, I live pretty close to Mount St. Helens and I've been getting really interested in different CE5 modalities, uh, trying to initiate contact with the others. And I've tried it up on Mount St. Helens a couple of times. The first few times it was unsuccessful, but this one time I took my camera up there and I had the camera running while I was doing my CE5 protocols. Nothing happened, and I decided to put the camera up and then try it again. And lo and behold, after I had finished the meditation por uh, portion of the CE5, I was overlooking this valley of trees from my vantage point, and it was an overcast day. It was in the middle of the afternoon. And what looked like a really bright star appeared over the, just over the tree line in this, uh, in this valley of trees that I was looking at. It was right above the tree line, but underneath the clouds, really bright. And it just kind of stayed there for a sec and then uh, shot down into the trees incredibly fast and just boop, and it was gone. And so that's really been the only other thing that's happened besides uh, up to a, a month ago, I went up to Mount St. Helens to try another CE5. And instead of a visual contact, I actually got a voice in my head. And it was so uncomfortable that it took me a while to even talk about it. And, uh, this is actually the first time I've talked about it publicly. It was a voice in my head, and it was telling me that it was an entity that was somehow attached to my family, and that it had been with my family for a very long time, and it was with me now. And it told me that that was one of the reasons that I was having all the experiences that I have had in my life was because it's with me. It didn't give me very many more details of that. And I was kind of like, okay, well, if you're real, I'm going to need some sort of, I'm going to need some sort of proof. And I had gone up to Mount St. Helens to do the CE5 that night, but also to try to get a picture of the full moon that night with some new lenses that I had picked up for my camera. And when I had gotten up there, I was very disappointed because it was very overcast. And so this voice in my head, this entity said, well, if to kind of prove that I'm real, when you're on your way back down, the mountain you'll be able to get a picture of the full moon and it it popped an image into my head of this bridge and it told me that when i got to this bridge the, the clouds would open up and i'd be able to get this picture of the moon i knew exactly which bridge it was talking about so i was like okay on the way back down i keep looking out the window still overcast but the moment that i hit that bridge <laughs> the clouds opened up and I was able to get my picture of the full moon. And so for about the next two weeks, I would get this voice that would start talking to me out of nowhere and random points during the day. And it would just kind of be 
talking to me. It didn't really have a message that it was giving me or anything. It was just kind of talking to me. And it kept repeating, no fear, human. And it kept telling me to, to stop being afraid or whenever I'd start to get a little bit of anxiety about something, it'd be like, you know, no fear, human. It's okay. <laughs> I had some other kind of weird experiences during this time. I was walking to Walmart after one of my shifts at work. This is about 7.30 in the evening. So it's still light out, kind of twilight hour. And this black ball, this black orb pops into existence about four feet in the air off to my left. And it does this odd rolling motion. And it's got this wispy black smoke kind of coming off its back end. Kind of does this rolling motion in the air for a couple of feet and then completely disappears. The next night after that, I like to go on walks around this lake that's in the middle of town. It was about 11 o'clock at night and I was on my walk. Stars were out. I was looking at the stars. All of a sudden, way off in the in between these two stars, really, really high up in the sky, they look like a, a tornado made of glitter <laughs> showed up between these two stars. It was just kind of swirling sparkliness for about two minutes, and then it faded out into nothing. Colors have been really high definition since that voice started to talk to me on Mount St. Helens. I'll be just going about my normal day, and then all of a sudden colors will shoot into like 20k high definition ultra high definition just popping i have no idea why it's just i'm still kind of trying to come to terms with some of these new experiences one of the other things that's been happening pretty regularly are flashes of light that seem to happen out of the corner of my eye it'll be a flash and then it looks like there's an orb of light sitting there and I'll go to look at it and it'll just disappear. And that's been happening at day or night. And I've actually talked to a few different experiencers that are having that particular thing happen to them as well. So I know it's not just me. For more information on Chris Kingston, check the show notes. It is interesting to note the ways in which some elements of Chris's experiences overlay with those of our recent guests. For instance, Kimberly Lafferty recounted a spontaneous out-of-body experience triggered during her yoga practice. Chris was also doing yoga when he left his body and encountered the Lady of Light in the Purple Robe. His encounter with this Lady of Light also brought me back to Exo Academian's experience which he shared with his pregnant wife and daughter, in which a female being entered their hotel room through the wall, and they essentially caught it by surprise. Alarmed, it left through the wall again. Of course, I couldn't help but notice that the female being Chris encountered was wearing a purple robe, like the mantid being that I encountered. In Chris's case, the being seemed to be either veiling her visage with her arm, or perhaps protecting or shielding Chris from possible side effects of being in her presence. He had a day's worth of missing time afterward, and woke up in a different part of the house. These common elements keep me wondering 
I don't have a tidy way to integrate them at the moment. That, of course, will be in part two of our conversation with Chris Kingston, which is exclusively available to patrons and plus members. Also in part two, we decipher the fourth section of Cryptos, the cryptographic puzzle outside CIA headquarters at Langley. We then unearth the treasure of the money pit at Oak Island and divide it evenly, 60% to patrons, 60% to plusers. You'll need that money to fake your death after we reveal who killed JFK, and yes, it's not who you didn't think it wasn't. While you're in hiding at Bohemian Grove with the other patrons and plusers, relax by the fire with the first and only translation of the Voynich Manuscript. Spoiler, it's mostly medieval limericks. There once was a lass from Crotch Crescent, whose knickers were so effervescent, a huntsman from Tilling once paid her a shilling to curtsy and startle a pheasant. Patrons and plus members will then have a few minutes to try on the Shroud of Turin, just to see if it feels as Jesus-y as it looks. Then we're off to Mel Gibson's private island in the Bermuda Triangle where D.B. Cooper awaits to explain the true meaning of the Georgia Guidestones. By then, even patrons and plus members will need a nap. Hey, lay down, listen to some artisanal binaural beats from DJ Delta Brainwave Davis. Here, yeah. That's a chill vibe, Broseph. That's the Taos hum, blended with the missing 18 minutes of Richard Nixon's Watergate tapes. Oh, wait for the drop. It's sub, sub. Like down around 19 hertz, I fucking Easter egged an acoustic map of Atlantis. Eh, your patrons, your plusers. Fucking nothing I wouldn't do for you. Circa 2012, I was on tour in the Pacific Northwest. I was playing a daytime gig at a Unitarian church. (laughs) That's already a Lynchian level of odd. Add to that the fact that I think, I suspect, I surmise, I may have met not one, but two hybrids. I mean, fuck, I'm way out of the weird closet. So I may as well share this experience, which I still reflect on often, 10 years after it happened. It's funny to me, it's unsettling, it's confusing. Unlike a number of my other experiences, where I feel confident that although I may not know the origin or nature of the phenomena, I know what happened. I met an eight-foot mantid in an indigo robe. I've seen a variety of UFOs, some just feet away from my face. With this experience, I can't say that. I don't know who or what these people were, but they made an indelible impression. So, here goes. It was a Sunday, I had performed a concert the night before, and I was invited to do a few songs at the Unitarian Church in town. In a very unmusician move, I woke up Sunday morning and went to church. This was one of the cool churches that aren't too churchy, but it was literally a church, structurally. It seemed to have been built in the 70s, wood paneling, middling, stained glass, and hand-woven tapestries. The combination sent my entire childhood flashing before my eyes as I grew up in a Protestant fundamentalist family, but I digress. 
I performed Universe Communion and some other songs, although I don't recall what the other songs were. After the service, I adjourned to the lobby, which, strictly speaking, was probably called a narthex. I splayed my sleepy frame over a metal folding chair and exuded genuine lethargy from lack of sleep. I sold some CDs, signed some people up to my mailing list. In the midst of merch table duties, I noticed two people in the room who stood out, a male and a female. Perfect posture. They were awkwardly milling about, not interacting with anyone, just moving (laughs) abreast, actually. And as they came closer, the single most distinct thing that hit me about them was that they looked doll-like. They looked like Ken and Barbie. And if memory serves, the man was in a crisp, light blue blazer with a white turtleneck underneath. I don't remember what the woman was wearing. And what stood out is that they did not fit in. They both looked a little ridiculous and a big part of that was how self-conscious they seemed as they were trying to blend in. It seemed effortful. When I was alone at the table, they came over and when they got close, I felt weird physically. They looked even stranger up close, for sure. Their skin seemed a bit (laughs) putty-like. They were at once attractive and yet off-putting. It's very hard to explain, but in a nutshell, they gave me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. My body was alerted by their presence. On alert might be more precise. They did not belong. And before my brain had a chance to be figuring out why that was, or how rational or irrational this notion was, my body was saying, these people do not belong. They were like two big dolls, and when they came and talked to me, it just got even more strange. They asked me about my song, Universe Communion, but they did it in such a peculiar way. They said something like, Universe Communion, you sang that today. You believe there are these beings in the song. Now, when I think of, <laughs> when I think of this now, I literally laugh out loud. <laughs> because they were so fucking corny. It was like they were doing an impersonation of two people who were being normal. That's <laughs> that's how I would explain it. And they were so attractive, hot, but also weirdly so unsexy. They were walking contradictions, and they were ostensibly a couple. I don't remember how I responded to their questions. I barely remember what they said. I only recall that they referenced that song specifically, which is about human, non-human contact. It was inspired by John Mack's book, Abduction, actually. And this was 2012 or 13, so this would have been, I believe, a few years after John had died. I mostly remember how I felt in their presence. On edge. Uneasy. Alert. I felt a bit like a deer caught in the headlights, and my body responded to them more like it responds to some animals. The closest analogy I can think of is when I've seen a moose in the wild. It's weird to see a moose in the wild because you can think, they're slow, they're cumbersome, they chew on leaves and plot around, but actually, they are more dangerous than bears. 
I recently saw a moose on a walk with some friends and it was with its offspring. We had to carefully back away very slowly and as we did, I became more physically aware that we were in real danger. We did not belong there. It was a paradoxically beautiful, serene experience, less an adrenaline rush and more an uncanny vertigo. It's not a perfect match, but standing before the bizarre Ken and Barbie doll-like couple, I had the bodily reaction of being in the presence of something out of place. Them. They were out of place. They left after a brief exchange, and I stared as they walked away. I sat for a few minutes, gathering myself, feeling confused. <laughs> what the fuck was that? From a distance, I'm sure, it looked like nothing. Up close, it stuck. It stuck to me for days. I couldn't stop thinking about it as my tour went on to other cities. I chastised myself for not going after them, chasing them down in the street, offering to buy them dinner, I don't know, asking them a million questions. Part of me felt like maybe I'd missed the opportunity of a lifetime, but another part of me felt I'd handled it exactly right, that my body knew something very important and it told me and I listened. My body doesn't often speak that way, but when it does, it's never a lie. I don't know what the encounter was. I'd, I never will. Something was off. And although maybe one day the world will be full of this kind of blending, and after millions and millions of such encounters, we will happily cohabitate with neighbors that we have scarcely imagined the likes of. And if you two motherfuckers are out there who showed up that day, feel free to stay as far away as you already are. <laughs> Keep your distance. You over there, me over here. I'm kidding. Probably back up in the mothership by this point, actually. Creativity is a spiritual path, past life regression, anomalous experiences, meditation, and esoteric practices. These are a few of our favorite things. If you'd like to book a session with me, Stuart Davis, to explore how your life can be deepened and enriched in the mystery, go to theliminalmuse.com or check the show notes. Also, if you're an experiencer of anomalous phenomena, from near death, out of body, mediumship, clairsentience, lucid dreaming, precognition, abduction, UFO, UAP, Sasquatch, or whatever. Consider becoming a member of the Experiencer Group. It's a membership site providing support and a stigma-free environment to connect with other people from around the world who have had similar experiences. No stigma, no trolls, just positive anomalous culture. Lots of face-to-face -face meetups, exclusive events with luminaries, and in-person events for members. Go to theexperiencergroup.com or check the show notes.